0: an 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.
1: We are twin brothers who grew up Atari, or as we call it, in the vertical blank. Technically, the vertical blank is the space between the last line of the current frame and the first line of the next, where off-screen calculations create a cathode ray tube display. It exists, literally, between the lines, invisible, yet all seen, in a void where magic occurs that is never seen, only experience—it It is the figurative location of our existential longing for the past, and attempts to bridge it to the present and the future. The vertical blank is an omniscient force containing the nuances that make our nostalgia a reality. It's the transcendental location that holds our best memories, biggest joys, greatest fears, and our most terrible losses. You've been warned. You can stop this tape now and turn around. For once you've entered, there may be no escape. All the scan lines have been written. It's time to enter the vertical blank. Into the vertical blank.
0: Have a merry retro Christmas. Twelve years of Atari Christmas. On Christmas ninety-two, Atari gave to me twelve Jaguar announcements, eleven elusive Panthers, ten Federate heads closing. Nine links is new in, eight games imported. 7800s, Seven 6 SD computers, five discount games, four abandoned projects, three 8-bit computers, two arcade classics, and a VCS under the Christmas tree. Have a very merry retro Christmas be it Atari, be it television, be it Coleco, be it Commodore, or Spectrum, or BBC or Nintendo or Sega or Timex or alpha or more, be it Jaguar, or Lynx, or 1632 or 1632 extended, or TT or Falcon, or some serious FPGA. Have a great holiday. Be it 2600, 5200, 7800, 400, 800, be it 130XC1200 or 1450 XLD. I hope it's under your Christmas tree. Yes, under your Christmas tree. Happy Christmas Atari Podcasts. To Pioneer further his game by game. To Atari bites for doing stories all the same. To the Antic guys for doing the best interviews in the scene. Thanks to No Swear, for keeping it clean. To Wade for Inverse Atarsky, and the ST line. Hey, player missile, come back man, we think it's time? To the XCGS team for covering the powerful Atari 8-bit, started in 1979. To the 5200 guys because big carts and analog sticks are not a crime to the handy cast of a Jaguar game by game. We love you guys as much as the TV 8-bitters if it's all the same, XL, XC gives us nostalgia from down under. Growing up 80s is partially Atari, but their retros are jazz is a thing of wonder. To all of the rest, especially to the 7800 cart and homebrew casts all alike. To all of these Atari media pioneers we offer a golden mic. It sure is fun looking at our feeds and finding other greats like in Televisionaries or the Pie Factory cast. Without your inspiration we would never last. None of us make money that we can bring to the bank. Merry Christmas from Merry Christmas from Merry Christmas from The Vertical Blank
1: Into the Vertical Blank
0: Select Introduction Mode Start. Hello, this is Emily, producer for all of the 8-Bit Rocket Studios podcasts. I'd like to welcome you to the tenth and final episode of of season one of Into the Vertical Blank, Generation Atari. This episode is titled, Christmas in the Vertical Blank. Take it away, nerdlingers.
1: Hey, hello, this is Jeff. And this is uh, Steve, and we want to welcome you to the first annual Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari Christmas episode. And well, stupid. because here's the thing, you know, a lot about this podcast is a lot about Atari and its effect on our lives and our and how it affected our lives. And but there's there was a time before Atari, but we were only talking about Christmases. And there's a lot of You know, it's been a long time, for a long time, we wanted to get Atari for Christmas. I think it's, I think, actually, I still do. (laughs) I would love to get that Switch, uh, 150-game Switch pack for Christmas this year, even though it's not out yet. Uh, Hopefully, it'll be out. So, in 1976, Jeff, do you remember anything special about Christmas that year. We were six years old. Well, so I remember lots of Christmas up to that point with the Sears catalog. Right. The Sears catalog was huge up until, actually. But I remember pointing out and circling a lot of things in there. Probably a lot of Hot Wheels at the time, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're Hot Wheels sets. I remember specifically a Matchbox set got really early that had like a, it was like a farm set with like 20 cars and a plastic mat and it was amazing I do remember um, Fisher prices little people from that time also before the little when the little people didn't have legs and yeah. I think I think I had circled an airport and you had circled a gas station oh yeah this is like pre 70s yeah no we had a I did have a I had a it was a parking garage with a gas station yes yeah parking garage and I had an airplane Oh, those were great! Yeah, Yeah, I remember having. Remember actually, us selling them at our garage sale. I do remember around this point also, Playmobil came in at some point. And a little bit because Playmobil is never huge here, but there were some really cool Playmobil sets. There was. I'm not sure we had Playmobil before we had Lego. No, no, no. I'm talking. It's probably a little bit later. So let's, later. It's let's late. start with a year. You want to start with 1976? 1976. Yeah, this is what I remember specifically. That was the year that we decided that we would peek into the closet to see what Mom got us for Christmas. Yeah, that couldn't have been a good idea. Uh, and I only did it once, and this is the one time I know. It sounds like I'm, you know. And I looked and I, I said, "Oh, let's look in." And we, I saw that Mom had got these. This giant helicopter and this giant rescue van. Both of us had circled in the stairs catalog. I wanted the helicopter. You wanted the rescue van. They were like off-brand things, but they fit Action Jackson characters, which, are, which Action no, I remember characters. that. I remember yeah. that, yes. And I was so I'm. remember. I remember then I had to fake being excited on Christmas morning. And I'm like, you know what? I'm never doing that again. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> and there weren't a lot of electronic games... At this point, even that we would even think about. I mean, I'm sure some existed, but we didn't. On one it. of these Christmases, it could have been 76, it could have been before that, Mom had gotten us each a Lego basic no, set to build this a is house. later. That's later. That's like 78. Okay. For sure. That was like we were like in second or third grade. Oh, okay. That. Okay. Well, seventy six is first grade. Yeah, and so I remember that. I remember peeking. I'm like, I'm not doing that sh- that again. Then I remember 1977. What I think is interesting about 77 is that when you go back and look at the series catalog before video games took over, there are so many amazing toys in there, right? You know, of of like science kits and all sorts of stuff. And and I think that Christmas 77 was was interesting because those are the things you can now only find in the the bookstore or the, the science bookstore or in like the toy and science marbles section. the brain store or something yeah so i wanted this this giant ship model of the uss constitution and you wanted a chemistry set right so i got that uss constitution model and i never put it together because it was way beyond anything i could have, actually do and i think um, i did one or two of the things with the chemistry set so i could make the baking soda and vinegar thing explode and it didn't yeah. come with vinegar But it did come with a little thing of baking soda. Yeah, I remember. You have to add some of your own things. But I had little plastic beakers and test tubes and things. It was pretty cool for a set that you could get as a kid. I don't think as a seven year old. As a seven year old, I think you'd be arrested for giving that stuff to a seven year old. (laughs) Probably. The stuff that was in that set, probably, yeah. Right. So I think the next year in 78 is the first year we actually got something electronic. Right, right. And that was Mattel Electronic. Football and basketball. I don't know what baseball. Baseball might have come the next I think, season. actually, I don't remember. I don't personally remember playing basketball. Oh, we had it, I, definitely. Okay, okay. So, Or well, we was did. that played at somebody's house? I remember having um, baseball. Maybe it was football and baseball. We played basketball, basketball was like, could have been at Eric Bart's house or West. Yeah, house. yeah. But those were awesome. Football, I remember, I sat and played that forever. Right, mm-hmm. and all it was is you're just trying to get a first down. And then no. if you did that enough, you could get a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. Well you just tried to get get like like you try to get this pattern where when the when the little um, LEDs would, would go in this proper in this the right pattern, they would open up a pathway for you to right. run and get a touchdown. Right. It was like they had to they like they the defense had to like had to make a mistake. Yeah. They, they had, had three mistake. guys on the line and you only, and there are only three spots for your LED to be. So it was so, still cool though. Baseball was cool too because when you when you'd hit a home run, the whole thing would go like crazy. So on that that football, so I I have our an original one somewhere. Oh, cool. um, from Casey Miner. Really? So I went over to Casey Miner's house. Who was a guy that we played baseball with, and he's in the military. He's in. He's like on the Joint, Joint Chiefs, of Chiefs of Staff or something now or something. He's awesome, dude. Anyway, I went over. I went over to his garage sale, and he had kept those out for me, like a Oh, that's cool. One. And also have a, a reissued Mattel one. So I have two of them, and I have not used them. Now something else we got that year was girder and panels. Oh remember yes, I remember I used to like to fly airplanes into the girder and panel. Uh, I so girder and panel was uh, was like uh, some plastic beams and plastic windows that you could use to make skyscrapers. Uh, skyscrapers, but but what it would really was for, so you could play Godzilla. Well, okay, we so I think we did a lot of destroy. toy combining. To, sorry, sorry, go over to Godzilla, sorry. Well, no, you could just build it, and then you could destroy it. The problem is, <clears> it wasn't like Lego, where where like it was somewhat, you know, but resilient. I'll, you I'll could, tell you something we did not not do with that, too though. too hard, it, you'd actually break the pieces. I'll tell you something we did do with that, though. We used our Hot Wheels cars and Hot Wheels fire engines, which we used to collect Hot Wheels fire engine police oh, cars. yes. Remember that? Oh, yes. Yeah. But we had a few at this point, and we would have them come, and there'd be a fire at the at the girder panel. <laughs> well, it's cool, right? Yeah. It was like a whole world you'd create. Yeah, girder really panel really was cool. This is before. This is, like we, this is like we is before we could build pinball machines with pinball construction set and make basic programs and stuff. This is the right. you know same create same thing same ideas, but and 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 ide- same things. Then for our birthday in '78, we got Star Wars. Figures. Star Wars time, so, and that pretty much was the aim from then on, was to get Star Wars stuff. Star Wars was Star Wars was Star Wars, uh, you know. Because the next Christmas, I know we got, you said, you told me that, uh, I know we got this Tommy Digital Derby racing game. So there were two, so we were like really antsy for some reason on Christmas Eve. And it was a long, I think this was one of the years where school let out a week before Christmas, oh, gosh, which was just probably. terrible. Whereas this year, it's one of those ones where school lets out like the two days before, which yeah, is that's great. great. So, school let up, we had a week, and there was nothing to do, right? I mean, we have no snow. It's a weird, rainy weather, probably. We're cooped up with our Legos and whatever electronic games we may have left over. And then, on Christmas Eve, we're watching something on TV, and we're really antsy, and our sister, Mari went out and he's got a each a present and it was two electronic games. I, but what was the other one? One was the Digital Derby? I don't know what the what other one was. Digital, I'm not sure. It could have been another Mattel electronic game. It could have been something else, but she Maybe had it was went like basketball they or those for $10 a piece or something, which was a lot of money then. But here's um, the thing. Like like that was, you know, obviously I didn't never heard about Tommy Digital Derby before we got it. I, our family was obviously picking up on the fact that we love video games, but the, they still weren't ready to get us one. Not ready to expand the equivalent of five hundred dollars on Atari twenty six hundred or whatever it was in yeah. cartridges. We also, though, that Christmas we each got a Millennium Falcon. Oh my god! We all from Kenner. So you have those, but you have all you have. You have both of those and pieced together as one actual unit. I don't from? have them. You? I think that you have them. They're, I don't. I don't know where they are. They're in your attic, I thought. Well, I've been through my attic. I don't have it. I don't have them. So I don't know where they are. Unless they're in another box that went in the garage or something like that. I'll have to take a look. You know, I've been through all my stuff in the garage. I don't have them anymore. So they may be gone, but they were pretty cool. I have our Star Wars. I have a bunch of Star Wars figures, though. So here's 1980, which I felt I was totally sure we were going to get an An Atari. Yeah. 1980. Because I remember it was Christmas morning, and I see that... That there is a box that says video on it that I can see behind the tree. And you're so woo! Yeah, I'm like, oh, we're gonna get a video game. We're and but what really happened was that Dad decided to buy himself a TV that year for Christmas. Right, and he had he had an antenna, and the antenna said like video antenna or something something about antenna. And he had he put that under the Christmas tree, and so then he unwrapped his own TV and antenna. Um, but what he did get us soon after either then or soon after was a Radio Shack video scoreboard, which was their Pong thing, probably on totally on clearance. Which is the point. only Radio Shack thing he ever purchased. Yeah. Besides I think diodes and, and well no, I think asthmers. he got I think he got the antenna there. Oh um, that's why Radio Shack. Okay. probably felt guilty. And he probably felt guilty. I think and he got us that thing. Um, and the video scoreboard was maybe the worst video game thing ever created. I think it kind of, the thing about it was, I'll tell you this, um, we got video scoreboard and we could plug it in and say it was a computer plugged into the TV and we could play a few Pong games. And then when Alex Morton's mom, when we were, when we were invited over to use his Apple IIe, she said, have you ever used a computer before? And I was able to say yes. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, that's cool. because um, I'd used the Radio Shack video scoreboard. Well, you know what bothered me about the video scoreboard is that the sound came out of the unit, not out of the TV. Like, if it was a real video game system like the Atari we played a year, couple years before, the sound would come out of the TV. I mean, that had to come out of the TV. Right. But what, right. It was We not had no more TV. access to Atari after Carrie Lanahan's house for a couple of years, right? Like, suddenly yeah. there was none. We'd have to play Atari. We'd have to find it at Target. Yeah, you have and to play. TV section or something, and, yeah, in the TV section or or Sears or somewhere like that. So you know what else we got that in 1980 was the Death Star playset. Yeah, I remember that. That was awesome. Uh, although, yeah, although it I was, liked, it, although it was almost like um, a cutout of a cutout piece of a girder and panel. It was like, yeah, it was. It was the Death Star playset. Was I? They, it was fun. I guess they just couldn't really pull off the fact that it was the Death Star in a playset like that. I, I think it was better as an idea than an actual playset. Not easy to pull off as, a, and they have to keep it to a certain price point too. So oh, yeah. probably at this time, twenty nine ninety nine might have been the highest price point possible. Oh, I would like, I think it was more expensive than that. Oh, okay, okay. I gotta go. I'll go look in the catalog. I don't know, but um, but I think it was it was maybe thirty nine ninety nine. That would have been really expensive. It was expensive though. though. It's expensive endeavor. So. Then, then, nineteen eighty-one rolls around, and I'm not sure how we did it, but somehow we the Atari VCS. Showed so the Atari VCS showed up. I mean, I think we dropped about a billion. billion hands. Well, we'd also been looking at um, the sports section with Dad, and he'd been showing us the Atari computers that his friend had, and he really was interested in playing Zork. But then, so I think the VCS sparked his interest a little bit. But, was um, his friend at work was that, um, yeah, his friend at Lemaider work, who or Elwood? someone. It was Dave Elwood. Dave Elwood. Dave Elwood had been sh- had been showing him, had been talking about his Atari, his Atari 100, I think. Right, and he loved him. That he just explained the game Zork to Dad, and it was like he thought that was the greatest thing ever. That's funny because. Then we uh, we dropped a billion hints, but I think the video scoreboard debacle helped a little yeah. bit. the fact that we got we had got Electronic Games Magazine and we left it everywhere. Yeah, exactly. You know, we probably circled the entire VCS in every catalog, Sears catalog, and, and the, Sears we one, the funny thing about this about that is we I'm sure we circled the one in the Sears catalog, and Dad probably said, "No way, am I?" Getting- no, I'm sure because from needed- Sears. I'm going to go get the Atari one. Well, and and he, he also to hated and Toys R Us. I remember specifically showing him a t- Toys R Us ad, and he got so mad at it because it said the Atari was on sale, but it was like ten dollars more than someplace else. Right? And it right. just made him so mad at Toys R Us because he hated Toys R Us. Yes, yeah, never had a no, good that's deal. That's a Toys standard Toys R Us tactics back then, too. So I mean, that was okay. So so then well, with the VCS though, we did get Breakout and we uh, combat. combat, and then I, I remember personally tennis. Laser Blast and Asteroids just a, like a week later. Yeah, no, a week later. Like I mean, the I, next within, within the next two days. Within, yeah, a, within the next two days. After getting the VCS, that really sort of changed Christmas. I mean, after that, everything was about Atari. I think, I think in some ways it kind of disappointed Mom a little bit because no longer do we really want stuff that she understood. Toys, yeah. She understood. yeah, yeah and like, it, but, and it, she would still try. She would get us like Hot Wheels and stuff. And your story Um, goes into a good bit about how that did something to Dan. Yeah, so the story at the end is kind of about the effect of getting Atari VCS, not the effect on us necessarily. And the story is more about me, after years, thinking about what getting an Atari, which is such a great event for us, how that might have affected other people in our family. But anyway, that's later. Uh, So 1982 was all about Atari VCS. Games, 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 games. I so it got River Raid and Vanguard. I still to this day that's like the the best game. We had a side scroller and, and a horizontal sc- scrolling yes. shooter and, and, on and the and Atari so Twenty Six Hundred. Yeah, better than anything I played on the computer before. Better than anything I played on on the in television. It was so, and, and I, I remember playing that. Vanguard and then reading the review. I think the review was in. Electronic fun, and then and they didn't, and they, they hated it or they didn't like it. I'm like, how can you not like There's me? been a lot of mixed reviews of well, of you know, why because it was, it was still after Pac Man, and Pac Man just ruined the like the press for Atari. Got it. And, like the reviewers were out with knives after the Pac Man and ET came out. The, can I ask E.T. you a question about Pac Man? Yeah, because it was in the middle of '82, not Christmas of '82, right? But in the middle of '82, Pac-Man comes out. Did we purchase a copy? From- yes. Okay. We got it. So we got it. We definitely got it. I remember bringing the instruction booklet to school. I remember reading about the video wafers. I remember going, "What the f are video wafers?" Wafers, right? I was so or vitamin. I'm sorry, vitamin pills or whatever they. I was so mad at it that it that it just it was so disappointing. And I remember we talked about this in a previous episode, but just I'll just reiterate, we didn't know what the capabilities of the Atari VCS were, right? No, we right. didn't know what it could do. But after seeing Pac-Man, we knew what it couldn't do, and it couldn't make a good game of Pac-Man. And that well, was this was really disappointing. But then to go to Music Plus with dad and find these new games for the 2600 that I guess they started to be able to use more memory or something, you know, in the cartridges because River Raid and Vanguard, and there are other ones, too, and it was like, what are these? I mean, Pitfall came out pretty soon, you know, as well, and you were like, oh, my God, like, that's amazing. And Pitfall came out in, like, the summer of 82, I think, and we got that as well. We did get that as well. Yeah, Pitfall, great game.
0: Select story mode start.
1: Christmas Train. Part 1. H.O. Scale Christmas. Train tracks feel like the stuff of life to me. They stretch long into an unseen distance, appear never-ending, yet always travel to a known and inevitable destination. I've always had a fascination with trains. When I was very young, in the middle of the night, from my bedroom window, the one reliable noise was a long, loud, whistle from the Western Pacific trains rumbling through the Los Angeles suburbs, pulling their loads from the port in San Pedro to destinations unknown to me. I loved looking down the tracks from the car window as we drove over a crossing, imagining a train was coming right for us. It reminded me of the runaway train portion of the tram ride at Universal Studios from the one supremely memorable time we went there as a family in the 70s. My dad loved trains too, especially steam engines, the tall smokestacks spewing blackened clouds backwards down the length of their cars and caboose. He took us to Travel Town, which was disappointing, the Lomita Railroad Museum, which is pretty cool, and Law's Railroad Museum in Bishop, California, which is really neat. The Model Train Museum in San Diego's Balboa Park, which was utterly amazing, and numerous times on the steam train at Knott's Berry Farm in Disneyland. Whenever he got the chance, my dad tried to introduce my brother and I to his fascination with steam engines and railroad tracks. My dad also loved Christmas. He was not a religious man at all, not in those days anyway. But Christmas was his favorite holiday bar none. From the stories he told us as kids, I was under the impression that he felt abandoned by his parents when he was forced to attend a boarding school in his youth in the Great Depression. Because of this experience, he set out to make sure his own children always had a great time at Christmas and were never sent away. Still, he must have had a memorable Christmas at some point, with a train and a Christmas tree involved somehow. I was sure of it, since my dad never told me directly. In my mind, this is how my dad's favorite childhood his Christmas memory went. When he was a young boy, his family placed an electric train around the Christmas tree. He recalled in deep reverie, getting on the floor and watching the train travel around under the glowing lights of the tree. He watched it for hours. He recalled the memory often. To him, it seemed like trains and childhood were inextricably tied, and there was a train shaped hole in his heart that he was always trying to fill. I figured this must have been one of his fondest memories. However, he never told us any stories about having a train of his own. I just figured This is how it must have occurred. What other explanation could there have been? A train around a Christmas tree? As far as I was concerned, it was my dad's own personal rosebud. Yearly, right after Thanksgiving, my dad posted a piece of paper to the refrigerator with everyone's name on it. We were all encouraged to put our Christmas wishes on the list for everyone to see. This became a family tradition that lasts 40 years with our wives' and kids' names added to the list as they joined the family in the ensuing decades. My dad also loved Christmas decorations, and the annual sojourn with my brother and I to locate the perfect Christmas tree was one of our favorite trips of the year. My dad's love of Christmas even extended to presents, where, oddly, he did not join my mom buying presents for his kids. My parents were married and lived in the same house. But instead, bought his own set of presents to put under the tree himself. As an adult, I didn't realize this was weird until my wife gently told me otherwise. When my brother and I were suitably old enough, the inevitable happened. My dad's love of Christmas and his love of trains clashed. It started when we were six years old in 1976, when my granny, his mom, With obvious coaching from my dad, bought my brother and I an N-Scale model train for Christmas. At the time, HO was the standard scale for model trains. N-Scale, the next size down, was petite in comparison to HO and I instantly fell in love with it. The footprint of the track was small enough to fit on a card table in our compact living room. After we set it up, my brother and I watched the tiny train travel through its double oval track for hours. I looked on with fascination as the mechanical and electric met on the brushed nickel railroad tracks. I loved the idea that I could design my own tracks, fitting them together with switches to alter the course and control the flow of the train cars. It was a system of elegant, modular simplicity that could be used to create infinite combinations. I did not know it yet, but model trains were my first introduction to the world of design and engineering. In the evening time, I often found myself sitting on a chair, laying my head on the table, and watching the train whiz by with the blinking lights and the Christmas tree as backup. It was in those quiet moments that I felt like anything was possible, and at the same time, nothing would ever change. In the months after Christmas that year, my dad took my brother and I around to the local model railroad shops. This was the mid-1970s, when model railroading was still a viable business for brick-and-mortar walk-in traffic. Within a five-mile radius of our house, there were at least a half-dozen stores that sold exclusively products for model railroaders. These stores were not for kids. You might find kids inside, but for the most part, they contained graying old men who took their hobby very seriously. What we discovered in those first few months of 1977 was that... While N-Scale trains were compact, cool, and efficient, they were also expensive and hard to find. HO scale is 187 scale, which means that the cars and scenery are 87 times smaller than real life. By comparison, a Hot Wheels car is 164 scale, or 64 times smaller than real life. N scale, smaller than HO scale, is 1160th scale, or 160 times smaller than real life. The only thing smaller at the time was Z scale, which is 1 to 220 scale, or 220 times smaller than real life. Smaller in this case meant more intricate and more expensive. In the mid 1970s, HO scale had become the standard. While N scale was still mildly popular, it took three or four times the effort and cost to build a model railroad at such a small size. Even so, the N scale train and the few pieces of scenery we could afford were good for a couple years. My brother and I played with it, racing the engine forward and backward around the track for hours until one day, one of the wheels broke off and the fun was over. After that, the train, the cars, and the scenery were put in a box and put into the garage, and I thought that would be the end of model trains for my brother and i while i liked them other things had caught my attention kenner had a full line of star wars toys by 1978 and my brother and i were full-on fanatics for the franchise with our christmas list on the refrigerator filled with things like action figures millennium falcons death stars and r5d4s there's little room for the electric model trains my dad so much wanted us to love However, Dad was still not ready to give up. For Christmas 1978, he went far off the refrigerator list and gave my brother and I an HO scale Tyco model train set with an IOU for HO scale model train scenery. My dad was a notorious bargain shopper, and the year before he had noticed something significant. All the after Christmas sales at major retailers were filled with HO scale model train products. Unlike our tiny, beloved, yet notoriously expensive N scale train, it appeared that HO scale trains were cheap and in abundance, especially as part of after Christmas sales. This gave him an idea. His plan for the next Christmas was for my brother and I to accompany him the day after Christmas to all the stores at the Del Alamo Fashion Center in Torrance, California, to buy twice as many HO scale model train accessories as he could normally afford. Since the sales were 50% off or more the year before, he figured he would get twice as much or more to build an amazing HO scale train layout. It was a good plan. But the world doesn't always honor good plans. The major problem with my dad's plan was that the after Christmas sales the year before did not just occur because stores had overstocked on model train toys. They occurred because kids in 1978 were just not into model trains anymore. Some kids were playing Atari video games at home, some asking for Lego, some playing with Star Wars figures. There was little room in the toy chest for traditional toys like model trains. So for Christmas 1978 most stores stopped carrying HO-scale trains altogether. We spent the better part of the day after Christmas in the rain, searching the back aisles of discount stores like Woolworths, Zodis, and the Treasury for any HO-scale train accessories we could find. It was an agonizing trip, as it appeared that only the oddest and the least wanted pieces of HO-scale train scenery were left in the already dwindling surplus stock. By the time we were done for the day, we had discovered enough random stuff, cattle rail cars, an automatic crossing for a non-existent road, 1930s people sitting on benches a set of scale modern 1970s automobiles fruit trees and a ton of track pieces to make a reasonable yet totally random model train layout my brother and i built and rebuilt the Tyco train track on the living room floor over the course of christmas vacation while my dad watched with interest peaked and i imagine satisfaction that his plan even with its obvious downfalls had worked reasonably well As my mom got more and more annoyed by us taking up the entire living room floor with the HO scale train over Christmas break, my dad promised that he would build us a train table where we could have a permanent layout. Train tables were not an uncommon thing at the time. My friend Alex's dad, a Danish engineer, built an amazing train table in their garage, and my friend Brian Hill's dad was in the midst of building one too. The back of the Sears Wush book had a page of pre-built tables with exciting curves and tunnels and hills which often flashed in my dreams. However, even though my dad had the best intentions, the logistics of his idea to build a train table were not fully baked. There really was no place in our tiny house or stuffed garage to put a train table large enough to hold an HO scale train layout. In the same way my dad planned for many things that he never pulled off, he drew up all sorts of plans and ideas about where to put and how to create a table for an HO scale train set. He was great at coming up with designs for things. He was a master at it. Execution on the other hand, that was not a strong suit. He designed folding ping pong style tables, tables that lowered from the ceiling, and even additions to the house that included rooms for an HO scale train layout. The designs were all very well thought out. Very detailed And had one major aspect in common. None of them were even remotely possible. Part 2 Atari Christmas Christmas 1981 permanently altered the dynamics in our house in ways I would not fully understand until many years later. It was the year Atari first entered our house. After dropping hints for several years by way of the Sears catalog, visits to Toys R Us, strategically placing copies of Electronic Games magazine that my parents could see around the house, coupled with the large retail price cuts for video game consoles that year, my mom and dad finally came through and got us pretty much the only thing we ever really truly wanted in our lives, an Atari 2600 VCS. It was a glorious feeling to finally have an Atari machine in the house. It was magical really, and I recall in the days after Christmas, standing close enough to smell the pine needles, staring at the blinking lights of our family Christmas tree, thinking just how amazing and wonderful life could be, especially in this modern era when I could have my own video game console in my own living room. Sometimes I think of that Christmas as a defining moment in my life. When everything came together, came into focus, and nothing was the same afterwards. But what I never realized until much later was that for my dad, it must have felt like the end of something. Instead of running out to buy model trains with my dad the day after Christmas, as we had done a few years earlier, we ran out with my mom and my sister to buy new cartridges for our video game system. The HO scale trains stayed in their box near the Christmas ornaments all winter break. We played Asteroids, Breakout, Tennis, and Laser Blast on the living room TV, as my dad sat back and watched with feigned interest from across the room. It was obvious that, not for the lack of effort on his part, the plan to have his sons inherit a love of model trains did not play out the way he intended. While we liked trains all right, he loved them. At 11 years old, we had become Lego fanatics, Star Wars fanatics, and video game fanatics. To us, model trains were a fascinating technological step onto greater things like playing video games and programming computers. So as my dad did his entire life, when things did not go his way, he took matters into his own hands. Almost 40 years later, I can only imagine the circumstances that drove this event. It probably went something like this. As he sat and watched the same blinking lights of the Christmas tree as I from the couch that year. Punctuated by the primitive video game sounds emanated from the Tia chip inside the Atari VCS connected to the TV, an idea came over him. The video game sounds and the sight of his kids mesmerized by the pixels flashing on the TV screen must have been as foreign to him as his stories about World War II and boarding schools in the Great Depression were foreign to us. That day, he decided he had to take action to bring things back into focus to build something he could grasp and control. He was inspired then to create one of the most industrious, marvelous things he ever conceived. A couple days after Christmas that year, my dad entered the garage to start work on something new. He did not tell anyone about his plans. He just went in and got to work. I still recall with great fondness the sound of my dad working in the garage. The noises of the bandsaw, the grinder, the drills, hammers, and the AM radio talk shows. Each sound distinctive, yet in my mind's ear from a cacophony of reverie and remembrance that will be with me the rest of my life. It was warm comfort to hear from the living room, even as my brother and I blissfully battled asteroids and each other in simulated combat. When my dad was in the garage working on something, all was right with the world. Part 3, H.O. Scale Dreams. Before my brother and I were born, my dad created a permanent stand for a yearly Christmas tree. It included a round base four feet in diameter attached with a wood box open at the top that housed a plastic bucket for water. Four large bolts could be screwed in from all four sides to hold a tree in place. It was one of the few garage projects that actually worked and had all the hallmarks of my dad's craftsmanship. Impressively functional, yet a total eyesore hated by my mom. Every year after the cuss words were done flying out of his mouth and around the living room as he set up the tree, my mom would quickly cover up the base with a white sheet to make it look like the bottom of the tree was covered in snow. This is how every Christmas had gone, as long as I could remember. Like the ritual went, my brother and I always went with my dad two weeks before Christmas to get a Christmas tree that would fit into his homemade stand. There are lots of factors we had to take into consideration. The height of the tree to fit into our low ceiling house and the total diameter to fit in the requisite spot by the front window in the living room. Plus the length of the trunk, the thickness of the trunk, the clearance between the bottom of the trunk and the first branch to fit in the stand. We left early in the morning and drove all around the South Bay until my dad could find the best tree at the best bargain price. More than 20 bucks for a tree? What a total ripoff, my dad would say in multiple ways after leaving several Christmas tree lots until we finally found the perfect mix of bargain and tree shape. After my mom placed a sheet under the tree to cover up my dad's functionally ugly tree stand, it was time to decorate the tree in the house. The cardboard box with Xmas scribbled on the side and red pen was pulled from the garage. The old string of highly flammable incandescent lights, some blinked, most did not, was strung around the already dying pine needles. The box of random glass bulbs and homemade ornaments were strung from the branches. Finally, our creepy proto-elf-on-a-shelf looking stuffed elf brother and sister were placed on the windowsill next to my dad's homemade Santa sleigh carved from a piece of styrofoam. Christmas 1982 started in the exact same way, but when we finally found a tree and took it home that year, my dad changed his routine a little bit. Instead of going right to the garage to saw off the bottom of the tree, then drill a hole in the trunk so it would fit into the Christmas tree stand, he went to the garage and shut the door behind him. By that time in my life, I would clued into the fact that there was not always a lot of output from my dad's time spent in the garage. A lot of time and energy went into his special projects, but they didn't always pay off as something physical. His job at Hughes Aircraft was drafting fittings for housings for multi-billion dollar military equipment, which meant he was good at creating analog boxes, angles, and connectors. And when those things were involved, the project usually worked. He was an artist by trade, but fancied himself a craftsman. The problem was that he did not always have the patience or resources to produce the ideas in his head. Something I've inherited from him in spades. So, the finished product did not always live up to his expectations. For instance... He once repurposed an old 50s radio speaker to plug into the TV headphone jack to increase the volume so he could hear the TV with his ever-failing right ear. He was sure the sound was better when the speaker was plugged in, but none of us could hear any difference. All we knew was that we were forced to have an ugly old speaker on top of our TV while he lived in the illusion that the sound was amplified. After a few weeks, he realized his error and the speaker disappeared forever. After the Christmas tree was put in place in Christmas 1982, I expected everything to be the same as always. The ugly tree stand, the white sheet, the dangerously blinking string of lights, the homemade ornaments, the scary elf siblings, and the styrofoam sleigh without reindeer. However, even before the Xmas labeled cardboard box was brought into the house that year, from the garage, my dad came to the screen door and asked for some help. My brother and I were trading turns fighting asteroids and ICBMs on the TV screen, looking forward to getting some new games like Vanguard and River Raid for Christmas that year. We were not really prepared for what happened next. Hey boys, can one of you come and hold the screen for? for me. It was my turn with the joystick, so my brother Jeff jumped up to help my dad. There was no question that one of us would help him. There was no complaints about helping either. Of course we would help. It was something we did, regardless of circumstances. As my brother held open the screen door on the side of the house, my dad rolled in a giant board with something on it that looked like a large, round, white mountain. Then my dad stood in the living room holding the board and spoke, boys, I need your help to fit this under the Christmas tree. And then my brother and I saw what he was holding. It was a secret project. It was a a circular, n scale model railroad track laid on a wood base, with a section cut out in the back, the length of two pieces of n scale railroad track. In the middle of the track was a set of paper mache mountains, rounded, so they formed a hole on top that could hold the trunk of a Christmas tree. A little Christmas village lined the track, with powdered snow topping each of the tiny buildings. The train base was designed to slip over the round wooden Christmas tree base he had built years before until it fit snug under the tree but above the base, a perfect fit. With the main portion positioned, he reached around the back and fitted a curved section of wood in place that had two pieces of N-Scale Railroad track attached to the top. With the section secured, hidden behind the tree, The circular track was complete. He plugged in the N-Scale train controller and started the train. And my brother and I stood there stunned. It was glorious. For every sh**ty speaker, exposed wire, terrible paint job, and jerry-rigged repair he had made in our 12 years on Earth, this stood above them all. Not in a bad way, but a good one. It was like every ounce of effort. Every drop of fortitude and every bit of imagination had been poured into this creation. When the lights were strung on the tree, the ornaments hung, and all the little weird decorations placed around the living room, darkness had fallen. He kept the lights off in the living room, lit the tree, and started the train. The blinking string lights made the Christmas village come alive with wonder. It was like the tree above the village was the whole of the Christmas sky, with pure wonder and joy floating above. It was beautiful. The tiny train circled the tree about a half foot off the ground, passing the Christmas village every 20 seconds or so. The little light on the end scale engine punctuated the darkness every time it came around the track to visit. Bathed in the warm glow of the light from the tree, the train and the village looked perfect. My dad's boyhood dream come true. And the one his boys could not ignore. Here, in one fell swoop, my dad laid to rest the ghosts of his own Christmas past. He finally had his Christmas train, and he had created the train table he so badly wanted to make for his sons, but seemed so elusive for so long. It was something we could not ignore, nor could we put it in a box and forget about it ever again. The tree stand and running N-Scale Railroad remained part of our family Christmas for the next 25 years. Part 4. H.O. scale Dementia Recently, when I look at photos from Christmas 2006 taken at my mom and dad's house, I notice one thing that's missing. The Christmas train stand. Even after my brother and I grew up and moved out, my dad kept it running for many years. On our yearly Christmas visits, my kids and the kids and my siblings were fascinated with it. They too loved the little snow top buildings the mountain, the track, and how it seemed to exude Christmas cheer just from its mere existence. Even after it stopped working sometime in the early 2000s, my dad kept using it as the base for his Christmas tree. I don't recall the events that led up to the N-scale Christmas tree stand being removed completely from the tree. It could have been my sister's new cat knocked around the train or to protect the new baby, my third child, or just from the age of the track and the train. But by that time, stand had fallen into disrepair and only looked like a shadow for myself i do know that was gone between christmas 2005 and 2006 and that something very significant happened to my dad very soon afterward in june 2007 he was starting to show the signs of dementia taking hold at that point none of us really knew the extent of his condition or how far it would go but the signs started with a curious occurrence in his bedroom Much like the winter of 1981, he began a secret project that would change his life forever. He initiated this project by removing nearly everything from his room that was not nailed down. He left his dresser, his closet filled with Civil War books, his bed, and a filing cabinet. Everything else, desk, DVDs, chair, card table, nightstand, his father's paintings, gifts, games, ephemera, and odds and ends from his 79 years of living ended up in the garage or stowed away inside the Lance camper on the back of his Toyota pickup truck. What was left was an 8 by 10 foot space in the middle of his room. After the way was cleared, he drove to Home Depot and bought some nails, metal bolts, and a bunch of wood of different sizes, long boards, 2x4s and 4x4s. Four he took it all to his room, shut the door, and began working. No one in the family really knew what he was doing. Since I had long since moved out with my two little kids and a tiny baby to look after, I could not spend much time reviewing his efforts or his plans. However, I was happy that he had found something to occupy himself beyond listening to political talk radio on his bed for hours upon hours every day. One Sunday, soon after, on a visit to my parents' house, I spied an interesting stack of magazines on the coffee table in my parents' living room. On closer inspection, they were not magazines at all, but catalogs for Bachmann trains. Model trains. Then it hit me. My dad was finally building his real train table, the same table he'd been planning in his head and on paper for 30 years. He had never found room for it except for the tree stand. So now he made room by emptying his bedroom. At first, while my dad was still fairly coherent, the train table seemed like a good idea. The grandkids got a chance to see their grandfather working on a grand project like he had done when we were kids, and it would keep his mind and hands occupied for many hours each day. The table took up the majority of his room, and it was truly the only space he had for it. The house was still as small as it ever was, plus the flood of stuff from 40 years of raising four kids and four grandchildren never receded enough to let him build anything In the garage. The only space he had left was right where he was building, in the middle of his bedroom. My dad spent the first 18 months or so working on the train table proper, as it was a masterwork of engineering and space planning. Using all the skills he had built as a draftsman at Hughes Aircraft, he cut the wood perfectly to fit in his tiny space, creating supports and brackets to hold everything in place while still allowing room to get under the table and work on wiring and mechanics. Sections were hinged so they could be fitted and replaced to get at the hard-to-reach corners and spaces. He planned everything for maximum accessibility and ease of use. The design and engineering prowess he invested resembled the Christmas tree train stand, just on a much grander scale. To be honest, it was far over-engineered for being a mere table. He treated it like it was his magnum opus, the final culmination of everything he ever wanted to create but never had the time to finish. When the table was complete, he did not jump right into building a train layout. Instead, he studied the Bachman catalogs along with a host of other model railroading books and magazines he had piled in his room. He wanted all the trappings of his dream model train. A steam engine, old west town, long tunnel, a mountain, a river, and a picturesque desert landscape. He also wanted it done the right way and no one was rushing him. When he finally began the building process, it was slow, measured, and steady. He laid the perfect track on the perfect track bed. Then he built a massive mountain and tunnel. He painted an intricate backdrop that hung on his wall to give the layout a sense of space and grandeur. It was an impressive sight to behold. A man finally making what appeared to be the thing he was always meant to build. A couple years into the project in 2008, my dad made an attempt to drive to a DMV appointment to get his license renewed, but he never made it. He got lost and circled the streets of the South Bay for hours until he finally made his way home. It scared the crap out of him, and he never drove a car again. After that, the signs of dementia began to arrive in a steady flood. He lost his ability to say names and numbers or complex ideas. Instead, he would just count on his fingers and use hand motions to try to describe anything beyond simple expressions. He was a man of words that became a man of fewer. Then in turn, the train layout took a bizarre twist. As my dad lost his ability to communicate, it seemed that he turned to trying to express himself through the train table. The table morphed and changed from its original design. It became literally everything to him. He carefully placed objects all around the table that signified things to him. Toy cars, dolls, trophies, a model ship pictures of his grandkids and his family from the 20s and 30s. He painted a massive amount of scale figures, but instead of making them realistic, they were all the same color. It was obvious the table had become an extension of his deteriorating brain function. In 2011, with my dad's health in speedy decline, I asked him questions about his childhood. I wanted to get some of his final thoughts saved before they passed from him for eternity. He talked to me in very short, stilted bursts. The dementia that was eating his brain stole his words, but not his thoughts. He painfully recounted stories to me with a mix of syllables, grunts, and those aforementioned hand gestures. Because I knew the basic facts already, it was easy to pick up what he was trying to say. At one point, he recalled something he had never told me before. With a wave of a hand and pointing at the train table, he described what it was like to be a small boy sent away from everything he knew to live at that boarding school in the 1930s. I'd heard these stories many times before, but this time it really hit me. In the same way that he, getting my brother and I an Atari 2600 in 1981, was a defining moment of our lives. Being sent away at such a young age, was a defining moment of his. He never got over this one single event. Without telling him what was happening, his mom drove him down to the end of a road and wordlessly abandoned him at a strange place that became his home for the next eight years. I already knew that story, but this time the impact was different. The tale he tried to tell me this time was a new one, or at least a new wrinkle of an old one. This story involved a train, and what he told me with few words and many hand movements, with me asking many clarifying questions that resulted in his nodding in approval, was this. There was a steam train that ran down the road from Manumet School. He loved going outside and watching the train go by, with the long trail of smoke dragging behind it. He wanted to jump on that train and take it wherever it was going, to get out and go home, to never return to that school. But in reality, he never, ever went home again. At that moment, it all became clear. My dad was never reminiscing about the toy train he never got as a child. Toy trains were never his rosebud. And remember this imagined scenario about my dad I had created in my head 30 years before when he was a young boy and the family placed the electric train around the Christmas tree he recalled in deep reverie getting on the floor and watching the train travel around under the glowing lights of the Christmas tree he watched it for hours he recalled the memory often it was one of his fondest memories to him trains in childhood were inextricably tied and there was a train shaped hole in his heart that he was always trying to fill Well, that was complete and total bull****. Instead, the entire idea of a train simply meant escape to him. escaped to a place he knew once, but never returned to as a child. As his dementia grew, he went back to that place. He set up a train, then he went about building the perfect place that that train could go. It contained everything he loved. Pictures of his family, artifacts, toys, western regalia, civil war forge caps, cowboys, Indians, and even little scale Christmas trees. And he circled himself with it. It encased him, surrounding him in his bedroom. And there he created his place to escape to. Locked in his own head, his brain deteriorating from dementia he reverted back to the one thing that made him feel free and alive his
0: entire life trains
1: a few weeks after my recording session my dad completely succumbed to his dementia no longer able to move or speak he laid in his hospital bed in the living room of his house away from his train table waiting for what was next The last time I visited, I sat on the bed talking to him as he listened and responded in the meekest way imaginable. A few whispers, a few hand motions, but little else. In the middle of our conversation, he sat up suddenly, pointed out the living room window towards the trees in the front yard, and said in the clearest words he had spoken in months, Those people there, those people going by, they want me to come along. Then he laid back down and never said another word to me. Two days later, he was gone. I have no way of knowing exactly what he saw outside the window, but I choose to imagine that it was the Christmas train steaming by, the passengers waving him to join them on their never-ending trip around the base of our Christmas tree. Like I said at the beginning, train tracks feel like the stuff of life to me. Be they outside a bedroom window, just down the road from a co-op boarding school, on a card table, on a living room floor, on a bedroom-sized train table, or circling magically under the blinking lights of a family Christmas tree. They stretch long into an unseen distance, appear never-ending, yet always travel to a known and inevitable destination.
0: Select. Watching. Reading. Playing. Start.
1: Hey, Steve. Jeff, that was a Christmas story. Th- that was a Christmas story, Steve. That was pretty good, was, I think. Was, I hope people liked it I anyway. Hope, I hope people loved it. I wonder, we, we tell a lot of stories on this podcast. So it feels like we're doing something a little bit different from other people. I wonder if people really care. I have no idea. I don't know either. Who cares? To be perfectly honest, this podcast band this is amazing. You know, I was there. thinking next year, maybe we may split the podcast into two and do like a story podcast and a like. Pro, like programming and game podcasts, like different podcasts, so people can pick and choose what they want. Or to just listen whichever to. one come like every other week, yeah. Or something. something or do it, yeah. Do it like separately. I don't know. It can be like maybe shorter episodes. Story one, and then the next one might be about playing games, or to one about programming. Programming, because that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Well, was well, first let's let's do, our do watching, playing, reading, and programming. programming. How about okay, that? Okay, so so let's do watching first. What are you watching? Just finished Homecoming on Amazon. That was a podcast. It was a fictional podcast. I know I listened to that. that's a Gimlet podcast really good. It's it was it's and the show is awesome. And the podcast, I have not listened to anything but the uh, an episode at the end where they talk about it. There's a couple new episodes that came out. When they talk about the TV show. Yes. And also, making the TV show so and the, stuff like that. My only issue, is and I haven't watched the TV show yet. My issue is that Catherine Keener? Catherine Keener? Catherine Keener. Catherine Keener was the voice on the podcast, and Julia Roberts is the star of the show. And I I really don't understand why Catherine Keener couldn't have started the show. Well, I don't see any real difference I'll between the when and Julia you watch Roberts. it, you'll see. I don't think I think Catherine Keener could have done a fantastic job. But having Julia Roberts do it meant you take this It's almost like when Winona Ryder is in the episodes of Stranger Things. Str- Stranger Things. You're taking someone who is supposed to be one of the most beautiful people in the world, and then you have them downplay it so much, and not not in a, the movie monster way that had, right, like, yeah, 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 but but you can tell that like it's it's just like they don't need that to make them an interesting character, right? That's right? cool, that's and cool. so they do a really good job. Like that's not what's interesting about the character. So um, that you're watching that. Anything else? Done with that. More of, I think it's called. Dave ruins everything on oh, I've heard about that and I, there's 12 of them and it's just well-researched shows where he ruins Adam Is it Adam? Adam I'm sorry it's Adam Adam so Adam, ruins some Adam ruins everything and there's about 12 of them and they're from a few years ago and they're really good the funny thing is in like the first six, there's these three girls that he's kind of chasing around the whole time, and like they don't want anything to do with him, and they're all like sort of attractive, in the, each in their own quirky way. And then suddenly, they're all gone after six episodes, and then there's... It sounds like that was just not an interesting thing. Whatever it was, the they were like his foil. Right. Like, he would ruin whatever they were doing. Like, they went to a yes. restaurant, he would ruin it and talk about how bad tipping is. Oh, and is. that's why Adam ruins, ruins everything. everything. Oh, but then, And then he would be in, like, show it up in one of their bathrooms while they're about to take a shower and then <laughs> ruin her date. It was weird. It <laughs> sounds weird. It was one about, like, grooming, like how we don't need all these, t- anyway, so grooming supplies. So, uh, other things, I just, we I, I go through Amazon and Hulu. And Netflix all the time, trying to find new things. There's only one or two network TV shows that I really even watch. One is the Good Place, and don't even watch it on the network. I wait and watch it on Hulu. I've heard it's good. It's 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 fantastic. And then network wise, is a show right now on History Channel, the Oak Island one with a search for treasure. Oh, yeah. it's gotten pretty good. Has it gotten good? I, I gotta watch. it. So that. how about you? How about you? Um, well, I don't really watch much. Right now, every night so far this month, our family, whoever is home, gets together and watches an absolutely atrocious Christmas movie, mostly lifetime Christmas movies, which are really not Christmas movies at all. They're like romantic comedies that they decided to set at Christmas because they could call them Christmas movies. Right, right. It, they're pretty funny. So we've been watching those. We downloaded on the internet these Lifetime Christmas movie bingo cards. They're basically like BS bingo for really? all the dumb stuff. Yeah, That's it, fantastic. It's funny, right? So I didn't realize this whole like genre existed of people who watched these ironically. Did you know that, um, that Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig made a not-tongue-in-cheek, purposely-bad Lifetime movie and- didn't tell anyone no, it, I they didn't just know that. showed up one time <laughs> and they were on it. And they did it to be funny. Everyone in the ca- everyone in the crew was like, Are they tr- is this isn't funny? Are they trying to be funny? They, just they made didn't really cool. understand the fact that it was all like a, a social experiment oh, to that's, see what happens. Cool. But they also got a movie made on Lifetime. That's awesome. So that's that's watching. We'll probably watch more Chris, Chris Excuse me. Probably watch, obviously more Christmas stuff this month, and it's it's fun. But because this is a Christmas episode, so but what are you playing? I mean, this is the run up to Christmas, where the idea would be to get some more retro collections for yes. Christmas. So, what are you playing now? The funny thing is, okay, so I finally Ryan and I went and purchased Ryan's my son. We went and purchased one of my sons. We purchased the account, so you could the twenty dollar yearly subscription to the. Uh, Nintendo Network, Switch. Or whatever it's called. Yeah. So on there are about 20 NES games. Uh-huh. And I still haven't played any of them, but we finally got it set up. And I played some of those. It's fun, actually. I, I enjoy, you know, I the last couple Nintendo consoles, you know, the, the the Wii and the Wii U, I spent my time buying old Me Nintendo too. games because I never really played them before and they were fun. But that option doesn't exist on the Switch Right now, but this Nintendo Network with the free NES games is pretty cool. I like it. It's worth twenty bucks a year. I was really surprised. I played Balloon Fight for the first time. Balloon Fight, good. And Balloon Fight is basically Joust. I remember it being. I'm like, good. I can't believe this is Joust. I do wonder which one came first. But anyway, that's um, that was. So your what play. else? That no, it's okay. What else? Playing a lot of ST games still because I got the Ultra. Satan, and some people don't like that name, and I can understand why I don't like but, that name. Really, but he—you can Especially change in our you Christmas can, episode. You can I don't, ultra call the ultra Santa. How about yeah, the ultra Santa? I got is the better. ultra Santa, the ultra Santana, ultra San, San, no, Santa, no Santa, ultra Santa. I got is the ultra Santa for the Atari ST, and I after a bunch of machinations, what is that? by the okay, way? Okay, so it is a hard drive emulator, and. It's not as simple to use as a floppy disk emulator, where you just dump a bunch of floppy images on, like you do with the Atari right. 801. But once you get it working, there's like there's people out there that have adapted about 1,200 or more Atari ST games to work on the oh, hard drive. Cool. And it's sort of an exploration. Like it's almost been a Christmas for the last month. You know, what, going then- through and finding games to play. Okay, so funny because I did the okay. So I set up my one. Th- I bought a. HDMI to RCA converter for my new TV that doesn't support anything but digital. And I plugged in my 130XE with also, it has the monitor, you know, mod on it as well. Right. So so I've got this monitor mod cable, it's plugged in, and I've been playing 130XC games on the AVG cart that you gave me, the one with the SD card. Right. So basically, AVG cart is a cartridge that goes into the to an 8-bit Atari 8-bit computer. It, you put an SD card, you can put a lot of Calm and EXE and um, games that were you, designed to be cartridge you games. You can actually use floppy images on that in one of the newer versions of the firmware that you can upgrade. Oh, that's cool. You can use it on my currently on mine, but it's you know you want to be able to switch between two images. The guys say a new thing where you can switch between a second image you have set up, so you can tricks discs. Oh, cool! Like I got to check that out. I have to, but check it out. I will say it's this. Song. I was playing a lot of Mule. I love Mule. Mule is just amazing, and it just feels so good with the real joystick on a real machine. There really is no. no difference. There's, I mean, there's, there's no. There are no comparison. There's no comparison or substitution for it. Mule is, a, you know, for the uninitiated, is a sort of strategy trading game made by made by released in I think 1983 by Electronic Arts, developed by Danny Button. It's one of the most amazing games ever made. It's still fun to play now. It's like the monopoly of Computer strategy games, meaning, sorry, way better than Monopoly. But it's like, it, it, there, there's no way to to really change it to make it better. It's just an amazing, great game. Did you know that a version of that did come out for the NES? No, I didn't. Know no, that. Was the an NES version. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But anyway, my point about that was, I was thinking about playing those games, and I was wondering. I remembered. I don't think we actually bought Mule. I think no, it was we purchased. On a disc. We purchased Mule. Did we purchase Mule? Yeah, we have purchased a lot of like. No, I don't. Games. Well, maybe we did. But I was thinking, like, now being an adult. I think in another about another podcast that we would make is tracking down the people that we parted the games from and paying them the twenty four <laughs> ninety five <laughs> back that we actually well for the games that we maybe really not the liked of whatever the uh, whatever. royalty would have been no no, no. I'm saying that it's full cost <laughs> because okay. because it, because it would be if you take it like if you say like with inflation right it might actually be that amount master's, find out what it was track the person down pay them the twenty four ninety mm-hmm. five and then interview them about the game that that, be, that I, would, think, be, I think um, I think that would be great actually this, we could do that as episode. I know but we could we could do you this PayPal them the money and they, they agree and they, to talk to you about the game yeah. <laughs> apologize for PayPal game. them a payment for the pay, the, them, pay them pay the them game. a royalty um, so anyway that's what I've been playing I've been playing a lot of picking in through the ST games I finally after you know being a kickoff two fan forever and never having sensible soccer I finally started playing sensible soccer I understand why some people like it better and it's a good Better game. than Kickoff. Better than Kickoff, too, because it, the graphics are a little bit better, and you can hold the ball a little bit better, but it's just as hard. It's just as it's hard. It's just as have. hard. But, and, and going up the pitch is really the only way to score for me. Right. And then I also um stuck, I put in a version of Commando for the ST, and I turned on the cheat, which made it so I couldn't die. And I got to like, five of the levels, and I said I didn't want to finish it because I didn't want to go through all the levels having yeah, cheated. I still love that game Leatherneck. For leather if you play it now, you'll go, Oh, hey, this isn't as good as Commando. The graphics are kind of weird, but um, um it's cool. It was I a li- micro deal game. I, I liked it, I liked Le- Leatherneck a lot. Yeah, you never saw yeah. your shots in Leatherneck, so you couldn't like you always had to just kind of figure out where you're shooting. Well, that's cool. So, yeah, the run up to Christmas is gonna be interesting. I'm hoping to get a couple of retro collections. I'm hoping the Atari yeah. Switch. Oh, the, Switch, the Atari flashback for the Switch comes out. That would be awesome. SNK for the there's Switch. SNK for the and Switch. Now there's a Midway, right? Also, I don't know, but Midway. Did you see a Midway one for the Wh- Switch? Which is no, not Midway. Namco. Say, I'm sorry, Namco. Namco. Well, Namco has been out, and there's also the Sega. The yeah, Sega collection, the Se- like but I have four. the Sega collection for the PS4 already. I don't. Yeah, I'm. I for just for and I just booted Switch, up yesterday. What i really sure is the Atari one. At the yeah, I want the Atari one a lot. As far as reading goes, I finished. Of Dyson and Men, and I started reading a book called Do you recommend of Dyson Men? Yeah, Dyson Men is great. I started reading a book. So I started reading a book called Valley Genius, which is a oral history of Silicon Valley. It's good, but I'm you know what I'm getting to the point where um, Silicon Valley self aggrandizing themselves over and over about how great they are and how they. It's really kind of getting to me a little bit. Like I I'm really inspired by it, but at the same time, like sort of sickened. Buy it at the same time. So I, I used to like, like I remember the book *Fire in the Valley*. I really liked. This is like probably twenty years ago, and I was really excited about Silicon Valley and what it meant and the, the fact that this is the good thing. Atari is now mentioned it, as one of the premier companies that started the Silicon Valley. When they don't, now. they never did that they before. They never right? did that before. They never even knowledge that Atari existed. existed and now right? people are like, "Wait a minute, no, Atari was like the place that started the culture, yeah, all, good or bad, good, yeah, right? Whatever that culture, yeah, is. whatever that culture is, good or bad. So now." Atari is mentioned not as a joke but as like this place where things got started which is which is great I think part of that is because games and entertainment have become such a big part of what Silicon Valley does before, right? and it wasn't before it was all very serious it was all like Lotus 1, 2, 3 and Oracle it databases like, It's like Bill Gates created a version of BASIC yeah like, I created Tempest <laughs> like, <"What> <laughs> anyway so, um, but, so, um, uh, so yeah no so, it's, it, so that's that's cool that's really all I've been reading um, right now. Reading okay. for me, there are um, four great Karen Hawkins digital books on um, Amazon. Two about A to Z of the Atari 8 bit games and two A to Z of the Atari SD games. So I've been going through those to find the right games to put on the hard drives of both systems or the SD cards of both systems. And then I'm also reading now this new book called ST Basic to C the only reason is I don't care about ST Basic in fact I don't I don't, really, I don't even know that much about basic but it's a really good guide to programming in C Alcon C which was the one that came with their $5000 developer kit but also wow. basically they're not the C it's just C I mean, if you look at it, it's like, oh, it's just C. That's cool. That's like fun now. Now all I got to do is re stuff with like header files, po- header files and pointer files and pointers, yeah. right? Like, it's just learning to program in C because C is going to be the avenue to create very fast ST and Atari 8-bit games. Yeah, I think, especially with the cross compilers that are out there now, and that kind of fits right into this our fits programming into our next section. section, which is programming. So finally, finally, I'll tell you what I've been had such a block about programming for so long. Anything for enjoyment, right? right? Only doing programming at work when it was necessary. <laughs> but just in the last week, I picked up Batari Basic, which is how you how you uh, pronounce it, Batari Basic, and the Visual BB, I think right. it's called IDE, which is, uh, allows you to um, write Atari programs. There's some tools and stuff in there. Define players and stuff too, right? Yeah, you can define some graphics and stuff. But I have to say, I am absolutely enthralled with making Atari VCS games now. I mean, like, totally enthralled. You know, the limitations are amazing. You know, here am I, like, trying to figure out, like, how how many games can I make with one sprite? Because I used, you know, actually, okay, two sprites and one missile because I used this kernel that allows you to, like, change... All the colors of of one of the players, but that means you lose like the missile, and I'm like, <laughs> and so I was like, what can I do? But it's really you lose exciting. the second missile, like and, you lose the second missile or something like that. Yeah, but- and what I think is interesting, and I, and I love it, and, and I've, I'm starting a game called Clawhammer, which is based on one of the first stories from this podcast. Then I took a sidetrack to make a version of Breakout because just I had to make a version. Um, of Breakout I wanted to exactly. see if I could do it, which is coming along pretty nicely. But here's the thing. 800 is really, when well, we got it, it was really ground zero of us starting to program anything. Right? Well, program, having access to well, programming all the time. We could save to a disk and come back and wake up in the morning and program, and program if I wanted right, to, right? Exactly. And I've been doing that now my entire life. That's awesome. I That's why I've been picking up the books on, um, lots of books on the ST, as you can see. I have. I know, you've got tons. I have, no. The, well, the ST books, I have the Stoss book. I have the ST programmers reference, the Atari, ST gem programmers reference, Atari ST internals, and now the ST basic to C. But really what all those are is for me to understand exactly how things work, not necessarily to program in any of those languages, because now I understand how the bit planes work on an ST. It's not that, when you're trying to draw something, you have to draw it on the colors go on either three different pit planes are red, green, and blue. You have to draw to each, th- each of the three of them to, for you to get a color. Oh, on the that's screen. interesting. Things See, like that. That's what's interesting about Batari. Like, okay. So they call it Batari basic. It's really not. It's really a game engine built on top of six, five, Oh, two assembly language for the Atari. Right. So like, there really are some limitations to batari that that the kernel that it supports and actually supports like 29 different kernels or something you know there's certain things that certain like like things built into it that if you were doing semi language program directly you could like change and, and not use what i like about it there's enough of the original hardware that you can start seeing how like those first nine atari games were built right, right. like right. like i now like think i know how to make surround without a problem. I think I know how to make breakout without a problem. I think I know how to make air sea battle. And to me, I'm like, oh my God, like this is unlocking my brain from 1978 when I first saw those games. I first put those cartridges in and going, and my mind being blown. Now I'm starting to go back and go, oh my God, now I can see how some of this was done. Right? So, for instance, um, you think some of it is you're doing some dynamic drawing with the background, right? Yeah, no, when it's not that with it's the play, using the play field plus, plus the sprites. <clears throat> And, uh, and yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's really, really exciting for me in a way that I haven't been excited about programming in a Which long time. Which kernel allows you to do copies of the sprites but also use it on a line and then on the next horizontal line you can use it again? There's for- a five-sprite kernel and there's the DPC plus kernel or the other – oh, sorry, excuse me. not There's a multi-sprite kernel and the DPC plus kernel. How do you find these kernels? They're, it's all in the documentation. There's all It's all you just, There's there's little options That you select In, in the, the IDE no, no, it's not in the IDE It's just that the IDE is really just An editor oh, with some tools Got it In, in the, the language Random you, terrain And other places you Yeah, and the, there's a, There's a documentation That comes with it Some web pages And it's Almost everything is in there with links to Atari's, where people have done more stuff. Got it. You just, you just some settings of the being your program to set which kernel you want to use, right? So the regular kernel, which actually has like twenty six or twenty seven variations as well, different things you can turn off. For example, like supporting the paddle, you can support the paddle, but you can't support a multicolored background at the same time because the way that paddle support and multicolored and multicolored sprites, they're like they're using up different resources so Right. you can't exactly. do it but there's the DPC plus kernel which is the David P. Crane plus kernel which I think before in an episode we talked about being sound or something that's not it at all it supports like like 10 sprites or something but like one of if sprite number one and then nine copies of sprite number two and then that's kind of how the multiplayer, the sorry, the multi sprite kernel works similarly. If you want to support like the DPC plus kernel, you have to also have an ARM processor in your cartridge to make it work, right? Mm-hmm. But if you just want to do it from a um, em- emulated, there's no problem; it, it'll work. So if fine. you want to put it on a cartridge, yeah, yeah. then the multi sprite kernel is basically. A more advanced version of the regular kernels to support more sprites on the screen, but it's kind of the same. Sprite number one, you support with like has full support. Then there's like four other copies of sprite two, and you can't just do direct collision detection on those four. You have to do collision detection plus some sort of coordinate detection to find to out which one it, where. It, it's really, you know, I mean, that's the, it's what you get. It's, it's what you get, get and I'm, I'm, I'm around. Yeah, problems. I'm attempting to do my programming right now with. Two with the two K only with the regular kernel options to, to, to kind of have those limitations and figure out how like how what I can do what with the, could be start done with those right? and then when I figure that stuff out I'll start adding in other layers of other things that's cool yeah programming for fun. Programming for fun now, and it's it's awesome. And I think part of it's come from this podcast that we're able to talk about this stuff and sort of unlock the joy that existed in these things before. And I feel like a little bit of that joy is coming back now. And joy is a perfect illusion for Christmas. I I like that. You know what? I I'm working on. I'm gonna do it with the tools that are in Stoss. Now for this why. What is Sauce, Jeff? Sauce is a basic programming language for the ST that is. Um, for making games has a compiler. Now, there are people that it, it's relatively slow. It's not it is it's fast, but it's relatively slow compared to full like heavy metal assembly language. But the tools that come with Stoss for building out sprites and actually making music and sound effects recording like digital sound effects recording digital sounds or using you know those are all and and there are new versions that work with the the advanced chips on the ST like the blitter and things like that. All of those tools allow you to make all the assets and to see something going yeah, in that's... the way you'd like it. But that may not be the final code. You may have to get down and you wouldn't see the code, but you have all of that stuff ready to go. So I want to build Je- uh, uh, Jeff's version of Galaga, but it's not called that. Right, and it's whatever, not going to use the sprites, yet. but it's going to be a bug shooter with all the elements that made Galaga good in my- and new elements too. But I want to be a single screen shooter, and see how see what you can be done by doing more than sixteen sprites are allowed in. Oh, that's awesome! So let me ask you a question about that. Yeah, Uh, is it is it fun yet? It's always been fun. In fact, I even started. But one of the problems I have, and this is what I'm working on, is I want to do the coding. On a real ST. Oh, yeah. Because because I found problems with, like, it not understanding the disks and stuff like that. And, and So now that I have a hard drive emulator for the ST and coming tomorrow I have a ST, Mega <laughs> ST2 with a, with a blitter chip in it, I can try out all these things and do the coding on the machine. That's cool. Then move it over to the PC. I just want to see how it works do coding on the actual machine. That's awesome. I like that. It may not be, and uh, maybe later on it'll turn out that it puts... Too many problems, and it's easier to do all the stuff on a PC in Windows. But for right now, I just want to. Yeah, wanna you, get- I know you want to start there, figure out the problems, then go back. That's yes. kind of yeah. like what I'm doing with Atari Basic. Exactly. So is it going to bring you joy, Jeff? Yes, it's going to bring me joy to do okay. that. I think that's all we can ask as we go into this. Is like the end of our season one of, of into the vertical blank, and right. we're going to start season two. We're going to figure out what it is and then restart it in the new year. But I think, I think we got to focus on what's going to bring us joy now. Yes. And I think we need to leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. Cool. All right. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to Into the Vertical Blank this year. We really appreciate everyone who's listened and made comments. And uh, we hope you enjoy what we've been doing. And we're going to continue doing it because we love it. And it's bringing us joy. It brings us fun.
0: Select podcast ending mode. Start Hello. Emily again. Thank you for listening to Season 1 Episode 10 of Into the Vertical Blank, Generation Adari. Christmas in the Vertical Blank. We'll be back with Season 2 in January. I'm ready for some tea and biscuits. Maybe a game of Fortnite, by the light of the lit Christmas tree. My game attack is Emily Bones you. The boys has even got me excited to try out some retro games on the Nintendo Switch. I think they are finally getting to me. Have a great end of the year and we'll see you soon.
1: Into the vertical black.
0: Hey you nerdy nerdlingers. What did you write for me to say here, ha 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 He he he! That's fake laughter. Do I have to call you guys these names you wrote for me? I can do better. I think Jeff is a genius, at stuttering his words, and forgetting where he left his brain. Oh, that's not nice. Not nice at all. Oh and on to Steve. Okay, we get it, you like to write stories that tug the heartstrings and have a message. How about sometimes you guys just play games and shut up? They made me say that. They did. They did. I need my tea and biscuits. Come on, Jeff, you turned me into a stereotypical bumblehead here. Oh, can I at least let them know I'm not a Luddite? I will kick their nerdy butts on Fortnite. Oh, come on with it. I'm bored of this now. I need my holiday break. How about you go to hell and stop bugging me with these awful scripts and songs, Jeff? You suck, you nasty boy. Bye until next year.
1: Next frame calculated. Prepare to write new data. V-blank ending.
0: Here is a little extra the boys cooked up. I added it here because well, there was not much else I could do to spruce it up. This was the only free, and seemingly royalty free 12 days of Christmas midi song I could find and adding the boys' voices on top, singing, all twelve years, in our case, was a major undertaking. I can't polish this turd any more than this. Here it is though, you found the Easter egg by just being bored enough to listen all the way until the end. Have fun, and Merry Christmas.
1: On Christmas 81, Atari gave to me a VCS under the Christmas tree. On Christmas 82, Atari gave to me two arcade conversions and a VCS under the Christmas tree. On Christmas 83, Atari gave to me three 8-bit computers, two arcade conversions and a VCS under the Christmas tree. On Christmas 84, Atari gave to me 4 abandoned projects, 3 8-bit computers, 2 arcade conversions, and a VCS under the Christmas tree. On Christmas 85, Atari gave to me 5 discount games! 4 abandoned projects, 3 8-bit computers, 2 arcade conversions, and a VCS under the Christmas tree. On Christmas 86, Atari gave to me 6 ST computers, 5 discount games 4 abandoned projects, 3 8-bit computers, 2 arcade conversions and a VCS under the Christmas tree On Christmas 87, Atari gave to me 7 7800s, 6 ST computers, 5 discount games Four abandoned projects, three 8-bit computers, two arcade conversions, and a VCS under the Christmas tree. On Christmas 88, Atari gave to me eight games imported, seven 7800s, six ST computers, five discount games. Four abandoned projects, three 8-bit computers, two arcade conversions, and a VCS under the Christmas tree. On Christmas 89, Atari gave to me nine links Mewing, eight games imported, seven 7800s. Six ST computers, five discount games, four abandoned projects, three 8 bit computers, two arcade conversions, and a VCS under the Christmas tree. On Christmas 1990, Atari gave to me 10 Federated Closing. 9 links is Mewing 8 games imported 7 7800s 6 SD computers
0: 5
1: discount games 4 abandoned projects 3 8-bit computers 2 arcade conversions and a VCS under the Christmas tree On Christmas 91 Atari gave to me 11 Elusive Panthers Ten Fetterate is closing Nine Lynx is mewing Eight games imported 7 Seventy-Hundredths Six ST computers Five discount games Four abandoned projects Three 8-bit computers Two arcade conversions And a VCS under the Christmas tree On Christmas 92 Atari gave to me Twelve Jaguar announcements Eleven Elusive Panthers Ten better, it is closing, nine links is moving, eight games imported, seven 7800s, six ST computers, five discount games, four abandoned projects, three 8 bit computers, two arcade conversions, and a VCS under the Christmas tree. Oops. <laughs> and a VCS under the Christmas tree.
0: 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.